0: Amen. So good to be with you here today. Uh, grateful to be able to worship. Today we're going to talk about a, a profound truth, a foundational truth that God calls us into. Uh, something that many of us have heard before called the greatest commandment. Now today, t- starting today and through the next couple of weeks, you're going to hear from a couple of different voices Uh, We're not in a series right now, we're kind of in between, but we're going to be sharing some things that God is uh, working on our hearts that we want to offer over to you as well. And today I want to talk about what is it that God's calling us to focus on as followers of Jesus. I've been thinking about over the last couple of weeks some of the trauma that we've seen in our community. It seems like a broken record and it's hard to face it again, but we see the violence around uh, Tyree Nichols. Uh, We see the violence involved just a few days after that with uh, one of our Memphis police officers uh, on the other side of that. And it's kind of a struggle for us to wrestle with. I, I hear people, those of us on the left, And we say, well, if we can just do these programs and do these initiatives and bring this legislation, uh, then it'll fix this problem. And then I hear my friends on the right who say, no, if we would just do this and and focus on this uh, way of approaching it, if we would bring in this legislation, it would fix it. And I'm sitting here wondering, you know, we've tried both of these and we haven't really seen any positive results. And it can be real easy when you see that. To just kind of throw your hands up and be like, well, what's the point? I can't do anything. And I come back to this simple truth. Is that God is calling us to do with the people around us what we would love to do with everybody. How can I be a light for Christ to change a life starting with me, starting with the people right around me? And Jesus tells us that the way that we do that, it's not legislation, it's not programs, it's not initiatives, although all those things are important, but the way that we do that is through love. And I don't mean like the cliche kind of love or Valentine's kind of love or the love that we all, I'm talking about the love that we see in the life of Jesus Christ. How do we give ourselves to love others that way? And I've been thinking about in my life, in my ministry, in, in my journey, what I get to see God do day in and day out. I've seen the power of love in the lives of communities and the lives of people. I've seen love transform. Uh, entire communities. I've seen love transform Uh, marriages where two people think that there's no way to go forward and finally one person commits themselves. I'm gonna love this person regardless of what I get back and I see the marriage transform. I've seen teenagers who are totally in the dark and they're struggling and they're withdrawn and they've pulled away and they finally believe through a miracle of God or through a person who loves them unconditionally that I do have worth and I've seen them come to boldness and confidence and and a purpose for their life. Uh, I've seen addicts and people with secret sin who think I will never be able to get out of this cycle and finally they believe that God loves them as they are and not as they should be and they find a way forward to break free. I've seen the power of love over and over and over again, and yet somehow, because of the messaging or because of the world we live in, we bought into this lie that love is just kind of this word, or love is just this feeling, or love is this cliche, and we've lost the power of it. But when I look at the ministry of Jesus, he's asked this profound question that we're going to look at today. Jesus, what is it that will lead me to the life that God has for me? If I want to have everything that God has for me, how do I get to that place? And he answers, the way to get there is through love. To love God and love others as yourself. What does it look like for us? So one of the things we've got to understand is how complicated and how difficult it is to truly give ourselves to love. So let's take a look at what Jesus says. Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. So here in this encounter, we see two people. We see Jesus. He's been doing healings, and miracles, and teaching, and people are starting to take notice of him, and, and starting to ask questions about him. Could this be the Messiah that we've been waiting for? And a young man, a a teacher, a lawyer, he's uh, an expert in both uh, social law and in religious law. And he comes to Jesus, and he's got this question, and they have this dialogue back and forth. But there's something behind the question that the young man asked. Literally, the word used here, it says he wanted to test Jesus, and the word means to challenge someone's honor. And so this lawyer, this religious teacher, he wants to challenge the honor of Jesus. And he's got a twofold purpose. He wants to see one of two things happen. On one hand, he's hoping perhaps Jesus will answer in a way that will point to everything that I'm already doing and it will affirm who I am and what I teach and what I'm all about. Or, on the other hand, if Jesus says something different, the young man is hoping to be able to debunk the teaching of Jesus and show why I'm right and he's wrong. And what does Jesus do? Instead of playing that game, he turns it back on this expert in the law. and He says, you're the expert. What does the law say? What does the word say? What does the scripture say about how we inherit eternal life? And I want to pause there for a second because it shows us something about our own engagement with Jesus, we need to be so very careful that our questions of God, our pursuit of God, our study of God, our following God is not done in such a way that God, I I need you to affirm everything I already believe and everything that I already wanna do. Isn't that such a huge temptation for us? I think maybe especially here in, in the Bible Belt, We've got our ideas about who God is and how God operates and what's true and all those things. And we just want God to affirm that. And anytime God challenges us, we're like, oh, that can't be God. What does the word say, Jesus says? What do you find there? And so he, he turns it back on this expert. What do you see? And the guy responds with two scriptures, Deuteronomy 6, 5 and Leviticus 19, 18. He says, you're to love God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. And you need to love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, that's correct. And the next thing is really, really important. It's profound. He doesn't say, if you believe this, you'll be blessed. No, he says, if you'll go and do this, then you'll experience all that God has for you. And this... Truth as simple as it may seem it hits the expert in the law right in the face because it's anything but simple and it's anything but easy We would love to believe that love is easy We would love to believe that love is simple But what love does is it makes us hold things in tension It makes us hold some things that may seem to be opposite together for example To really be able to love people, to really be able to love myself, to really be able to love God, I have to hold on to truth. Now the temptation though for many of us is when we love somebody or we think we love somebody, it's hard for us to speak truth. What if I hurt their feelings or what if I hurt the relationship? But on the other hand, some of us, we need to be a little bit more careful with the way that we share truth because I will tell you this, truth without love It's just condemnation. Or what about the the confidence that we have to have with love? Because without confidence, all I'm doing is trying to get self-worth from somebody instead of bringing a blessing to somebody. And many of us are in a place of insecurity where we need a healthy dose, dose of confidence, but confidence without love turns into arrogance. Or what about action? We all have heard the truth that love requires action. It's not just a feeling, right? If you've ever been uh, in a relationship or anybody who's married, you know the truth that you can say I love you, but without action, those are empty words. And some of us need to get to action to be able to show some real love with the people in our lives. But the problem is action without love just becomes manipulation. I'm just going to do this to get what I want. And so it makes us hold things in tension. It's not simple and it's not easy, but it is the foundation of everything that God has for us to really be able to love people the way that Christ loves us. So what does that look like? Well, there's three things that Jesus points to. Love God, love self, love others. So let's start with the first. What does it mean for me to love God? Well, I've got to understand that I've got to love God fully, that I can't be holding anything back from God, that I've got to be able to be willing to to turn everything over to him. And specifically, what Jesus affirms here is to love God with four different aspects of our being. And the one that he starts with is that we are to love God with our heart. The word is cardia. It doesn't just mean you're the organ that beats and pumps blood through your body, it's referring to the inner place of your being. To love God with my heart requires me to connect with God. I've got to connect with him on an emotional level. I've got to connect with him at an inner level. I've got to connect with him at a passionate level. That to really love God, I can't just hold him at a distance But I've got to be in relationship with him. I've got to let him in into every little nook and cranny of my heart, of my life, of my my being. And many of us struggle with that. And some of the reasons that we struggle with that is because we have been taught to think of everything logically. And it's hard for us to embrace the spiritual element of the world that we live in. But we are spirit. We are body, but we're also spirit, and God wants to connect with us on a heart level. Lord, how do I give all of my love, all of my emotion, all of my passion to you? And so what I want to encourage you to think about is to ask the question, what is it that feeds you? What is it that, that brings you passion? What is it that makes your heart beat? Are, are you a studier? Then involve God into your studying. Do you love music? Do you love to worship? Then engage in it. Embrace it and worship God with music and and bring him into your worship life. Do you love nature? Well, then embrace it. Spend more time outdoors. Spend more time in nature and invite God into that. Do you love connecting with other people? Then connect with more other people more and invite God into that. We've been taught that you've got to fit God into certain little windows of our life and approach him in certain patterns. But God has given you uh, an ability to connect with him on a unique way and he wants to be a part of that. So find what feeds you and bring him into it. That's why God gave that to you. Love God with our heart. But he also says we've got to love God with our mind. And to love God with our mind, this word here means to love God with our understanding. That I've got to seek to understand who God is and what God is doing. And what that requires of me, if I'm going to love God with my mind, is I've got to commit time to Him. You cannot grow an understanding of God if you're not willing to commit time to God. And it's real simple. let just do a survey Of how you spend your time. Because if we are really honest with ourselves, the problem is not that we have, we don't have enough time, the problem is how we are spending our time. And so, and evaluate, like, how much of my time is dedicated to understanding God versus being on social media? How much of my time is spent understanding God versus watching TV? How much of my time is spent understanding God versus Just any kind of entertainment or fill in the blank. Does the way I spend my time really say that God is a priority in my life, that I want to love him, I want to follow him, I want to serve him? I've got to be willing to commit my time. But when we look at that, it can be overwhelming and we're thinking, well, I don't know how I'm ever going to get to this place. I've got so many things on my plate. Just start small. Small but intentional. Intentional. And think what are some reasonable changes that I can begin to make that will grow. And so it might be some little things like stop putting your cell phone by your bed. Resist that temptation that it's the first thing you look at and the last thing that you look at every day. Put it somewhere else. Or or take, good Lord, maybe take some of those apps off your phone. Maybe get rid of some subscriptions. Maybe get rid of one of those five, six, seven platforms of social media that you've got. Maybe put an app on your phone, a Bible app or a devotional app, and rather than having the urge to look at social media, look at God's Word. Maybe commit five minutes a day to getting into the, the Word, or maybe pick up a reading plan or maybe find somebody that you meet with once a week or once a month that will hold you accountable. Small, reasonable changes that will add up and you can grow over time so that you begin to focus more of your energy and time to understand who God is and what God does. We've also got to love God with our soul. The word here, psyche, is the inner place of your being that gives you your identity. It's that part of you that helps you understand, who am I? And what we've got to be able to understand here is that to love God with my soul means that I have to commit my identity to him. It requires me to listen to him. What are the voices that you're listening to? Is it the inner critique? Is it the voice of culture? Is it just the friends around you? Is it your boss? Is it the television? Is it social media? What are the voices that are speaking into you that are telling you this is who you are? And am I willing to spend time listening to God and let him tell me who I am? And then to love him out of that place, that I'm a child of God, I'm a son of God, I'm a daughter of God, I'm redeemed, I am a person in need of grace, and yet God is loving me, he's moving me along, that's who I am. And then to love God out of that place. And so we've got to do two things. Number one, we've got to make some time to actually listen, commit yourself to some silence. That's so hard for many of us. And I think one of the reasons it's so hard for us, it is not just because we're busy. That's the, that is a cop-out. We, we are really quick to say, I don't have time to listen, I'm so busy. No, we're afraid of what will happen if we spend time in silence. Many of us have anxious thoughts that run through our mind on a regular basis, and we don't want to be silent with those thoughts. Have the courage to spend some silence with God, listening to His voice, God, what is it you want to say to me today? But it's also having an attitude of listening throughout the day. That even as you're going about your day, you have this mindset that I'm listening to you, God. What is it you want to say to me? How many of you would say that I have probably some of my most productive, creative thoughts either right before I go to bed or in the shower or while I'm in the car? A lot of us, right? You know why? It's because it's the only quiet moment of your day. We're just filling our ears with noise throughout every single day. We need to go through our day and say, Lord, how do I have an attitude of listening to quiet the noise to hear what you want to say? Because I want to love you with my soul. I need to know who I am in you. And I can't know that if I don't hear from you. And then finally says we got to love God with all our strength. The word for strength here, it means all of your energy and your resources and your efforts. How do I love God with my energy, my resources, and my efforts? Well, what this requires of me is it requires me to steward what God gives. That just means it's a fancy word to say nothing I have belongs to me. It all belongs to God, and I have to use it for God. Your life itself, your money, Your house, your car, your job, your relationships, your family, everything in your life. It's not yours. It belongs to God. How do we use it to reflect our love, our devotion, our service back to God? Saying, Lord, this is yours anyway. I want to trust you with it. And so what are we doing to offer that back to him? Lord, how do I use my house for you? How do I use my money for you? How do I use my job for you? How do I use my relationships for you? Knowing that when I give it back to you, you will multiply it beyond anything that I could ever do. I want to trust you, Lord, and love you with all my strength. And here's the key that I've learned in life is that he's not going to take it from you, even though it belongs to him, but you can choose to offer it to him. So I'm going to love God with all of who I am. I'm gonna love him fully. And when I begin to love God fully, I will begin to understand more of God's depth of love for me and I'll be able to love myself. But here's what God calls us to with love of self is that I've gotta love myself rightly. The problem about how we see ourselves it's not that we don't want to have good things. I've yet to meet a human being who does not want good to come into their life. We would all prefer to have pleasure. We would all prefer to have comfort. We would all prefer to have the easy road forward. But most of us struggle to see ourselves correctly. And most of us, we get ourselves into all kinds of heartache and pain and self-inflicted wounds and wounding others because we fail to see ourselves correctly. And so we need to repent of some things. And to repent, it means to stop moving one direction and start moving another direction. And so what are some of those things we need to repent of? Well, number one, we need to repent of insecurity. That many of us, the way that we don't see ourselves correctly is that we beat ourselves up we see all the things that we can't do and all of our failures and all the things that that we think are incomplete or not enough and we fail to be able to love ourselves really the way God wants us to love ourselves when we can't see the value that God has given us. Because when we battle insecurity you're gonna do one of two things in your relationships. You're either gonna look to other people to give you worth and you're going to be kind of a, a life sucker out of other people. And you're constantly just experiencing brokenness in relationships because you're always trying to get from people and draw words from them. Or you'll do the opposite and you'll withdraw from people. And you'll isolate yourself and you'll put yourself on an island because I'm not worthy. And, and you can't love anybody out of that place. So we've got to repent of insecurity, but the opposite is also true. We've got to repent of arrogance. Many of us just, we see ourselves so much better than other people. And and what is easy for us to do in life is to focus on the people that we believe are not as good as us. Because what does that do? Makes me feel better about me as long as I'm not like that joker. Right? Like, long I'm not, not battling that. I'm not struggling with that. And what does God call us to do? Stop comparing yourself to those people and start comparing yourself to me that when we understand how I measure up to Christ, there's no room for arrogance, there's no room for pride. I could never measure up to that place of God's holy standard and thank goodness he loves me anyway and he pours grace into my life anyway. It prevents me from that insecurity, but also knowing that I have no reason to be arrogant, that every single one of us are in the same boat in need of God's grace. But we also have to repent of a third thing, and that's selfishness. We've got to be willing to say, Lord, I need to be able to see beyond myself. And again, none of us would like to say that we're selfish, But when we ask ourselves that all-important question of when change or or pain happens in my life, who's the first person I think about? It tends to be me, right? Like a change happens at work. Who do I think about? Me. A change happens in a relationship. Who do I think about? Me. A change happens in our financial world. Who do I think about? Me. Guess what that's called? Selfishness. So how do I relate to my spouse? How do I relate to my kids? How do I relate to the people I go to school with or go to work with or live around? Is the first person I always think about in every one of those relationships me and how it impacts me? Or by the grace of God, am I able to put others first? To be able to see that the greatest love of God in our world is that he loves us so much not just to get us to heaven but he wants to transform us that we can be a blessing to other people we will begin to see the the gift of being able to see beyond me I don't have to worry about how it affects me because God's got me I can love other people And so I can see myself correctly to experience all that God has for me. And once I understand who God is, and once I understand who I am, I can really begin to love others. And I'm not talking about manipulating. I'm not talking about, you know, cowering before others. I mean unconditionally, confidently, powerfully loving the people around me. And what does that look like? Well, I've got to love others actually meaning it's not just a feeling, it's not just a theory, it's not just a concept, it's not just something that I say, but it requires action. That it's tangible, you can see it, you can hear it, you can experience it. What does that look like when we love people actually? Well, one of the things is it means that I love with words. Scripture tells us that the words that we speak have the power to build up or the power to tear down. Here's just a simple rule of life. Refuse to speak words that tear down. I want to challenge you this week to do an evaluation of your words. How many of the words that we speak are actually gossip? How many of the words that we speak are actually slander? How many of the words that we speak are just unfruitful criticism or negativity or doubt? What would happen in our relationships, in our jobs, in our school, in our homes, in our neighborhoods, if we refused to speak words that tear down and only chose to speak words that build up? How might our world be transformed? What would that look like? And the other piece of this is don't hold back those words that build up. Right? Every single one of us, you've experienced that moment. You're driving down the road or you're getting in the shower or you're, you're about to start working on something. And a thought will run through your mind, either of gratitude or concern about another person. And what do we tend to do? It's like, oh, yeah, I need to reach out to them. And we bury that thought. What if we take that very moment, stop what we're doing, send a text, make a phone call, send an email, whatever you got to do and reach out to that person to build them up in that moment. Could it be that God put that thought in your mind for a purpose? To build them up, to lift a prayer, to give some encouragement. Don't withhold those building up life-giving words from others. It also means that we love with deeds, that sometimes we've got to do something. I don't just say something, but sometimes I got to do something. And one of the best ways that we can do this is to start to create margin in our schedule. Most of the missed opportunities I have in my life to really love somebody with action, to do a deed of kindness, to build somebody up with what I do, has to do with how busy and important I think I am. Cramming my schedule full of, well, I could, but I'm so busy. Well, I could, but I got to go get to this meeting. What would happen if we created margin in our day, realizing that sometimes the interruptions are the most important thing that happens in our day? And then every single day I wake up and say, God, what do you want to do through me today? Who can I be a blessing to? God, who can I, I make their world better today? Or maybe it just means that you start with the people right around you in your circle, your spouse, your family, your coworkers, people you go to school with, and have the audacity to ask the question, what can I do to make your life better? How can I encourage you? How can I bless you? What are some needs you have that I can step into? Number one, it's gonna surprise the heck out of them. And when they finally have the courage to be honest with you, you'll have an opportunity to show who God is to them. What a way to live, right? So we, we love with deeds. And then finally, we've got to love with mission. That we don't just wait for things to come and land on our plate, but we've got to be asking God every day, Lord, what's the purpose for my life? What's the mission for my life? How do you want to move in and through me to love other people? And I'll never get tired of asking you these three questions. What breaks your heart? What do you have to work with? What are the needs around you? Find the intersection of those three things and do something about it live with purpose, with mission in your life to be a blessing to the people right around you and then going out from there. And here's the key to all this. Listen, this is not about willpower. It's not about white knuckling it and trying harder If I got to love people better. What's wrong with me? I can't love people. No, it's understanding that you are loved. That you have a God who has every reason not to love you, but he loves you as you are, not as you should be. And it's not because you earned it. It's because God is love. He can't help it. That's who he is. And he wants to transform your life from the inside out, not through condemnation, but through grace and mercy and kindness. He wants to love you. Here's the truth I've come to know. We've all heard hurt people hurt people. The opposite is also true. Loved people love people. When you know that you are loved, then you can love others. And it may just be that what you really need more than anything else is, is not a challenge, not accountability. You need to believe this. First John chapter 4 tells us this. This is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. What would it mean for God's love to be made complete in us as we love others? But notice the root of it. It's not that we start loving, it's that we start believing that this is not love, not that we love God, but that God loved us. Loved people, love people. Here's what I want to encourage you with today. Commit for the next six months to live as though this is true. For six months, in your decision making, in your habits, in your devotional life, in your relationships, in your finances, in how you do your job. Act as though if it's a reality that God loves you as you are, not as you should be. And see if that doesn't transform every aspect of your life. We're all drawn to like a magnet, those people who believe this truth because they're different. They're not trying to get from you, they give to you. They're not insecure, they're confident, they're not arrogant though, they see themselves correctly. And we love to be around those people because they make us feel better, they make us believe that there's more to life because there is more to life. Commit for six months to believe it, to live in it, to trust it, and see what happens in your world. Because loved people who know who they are, love people.